I have a sleeping disorder. I can't tell the difference between life and dreams. I'm losing it. I'm Eddie Webb. I'm Eddie Webb. No, wait. I'm Eddie Webb. No, wait. And I'm, I'm Chris Spivey. And I'm Chris Spivey. And today we're going to talk about Moon Knigget here on Genreless. <laughs> I knew I wasn't going to get through this episode without making that joke, so I figured I'd just do it right off the bat and get it out of the way. <laughs> I, I felt much the same, so that's why I put it at the top of the show. So when I do it two more times, it'll be funny the last time I do it. <laughs> oh, Christ, where do we start with this show? <laughs> um, so uh, we're continuing our exploration through the MCU Disney Plus shows, uh, and... Uh, Moon Knight is not a character you would expect to headline a streaming show in the early 2000s or the early 2020s, I should say, um, because he's got a a deeply, deeply weird comic book history and also is kind of a problematic singularity. <laughs> but wait, you mean he's just not Marvel's Batman? They both operate at night. They both technically have money, at least in the comics. They both use gadgets. No, we both know Nightwing is Marvel's Batman. The guy who gets tw- he's the strength of two men at night. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh. <laughs> so, I'm not even gonna um, go there. <laughs> uh, uh, but but to be fair, you're 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 kind of right. So uh, six one six Moon Knight, um, basically. Is let's start by saying he's inconsistently written. <laughs> he's been rebooted and retconned so many times he might as well be in the X-Men at this point. Do you mean uh, just because he first showed up as someone hired to kill the werewolf by night, Jack Russell? Okay, let's start there. So he's he he's literally created as a character to in Werewolf by Night. And it's like, well, who do we need to kill a werewolf? I know, a guy that dresses up and, and channels the power of the moon. Because that's what a werewolf would fight obviously in marvel in the 70s except his powers were he's well trained and he has shuriken that are shaped like crescent moons that's it that's all he had and a helicopter that was like all he had in his original appearance i can't remember were they silver though if they were silver yes, they were then silver. that werewolf would be on the run they were silver uh, and ostensibly his outfit was also silver although it pretty quickly became white because that's how coloring worked in uh, uh the 70s it's like people couldn't tell whether it's silver or white it just became white i thought uh, you were gonna say that none of the comic book people that did it didn't, didn't have telescopes or they didn't go to school so they didn't understand the color of the moon well there's that too uh um so Someone at Marvel says, this is a character that has some legs to it. Uh, so they gave him some cameos in some other comics that were much more popular, like Spider-Man primarily. Uh, and then he got a uh, – actually got a solo series for a while. Um, and this is where a lot of the Moon Knight we know now, and I'm describing it very broadly, happens. Um, so this uh, – Doug Mensch and uh, Bill Sienkiewicz. Uh, right before Bill Sienkiewicz did his fantastic run on the New Mutants as artist. Um, so it's Sienkiewicz right before his signature style. So you can see that still kind of the sketchiness starting to evolve as they do this solo series together. Um, but 
it's kind of a taste of how incoherent Moon Knight is. Um, Moon Knight, as a character, uh, um, uh, he has what we now call dissociative identity disorder, um, although in the comics it was incorrectly labeled as schizophrenia. Uh, his core personality at the time was called Mark Spector, uh, and Doug Mensch was told afterwards by fans, it's like, oh, so Spector is Jewish because that's a, a Jewish name. And Mark Doug was like, I had no idea. So he was accidentally Jewish. Um, he, the reason why he had uh, associative identity disorder is because they had forgotten the name that he was supposed to have had in the original comic. And so they had to retcon that back in as a personality or an identity he took on. And it was really supposed to be kind of a more of a thing like the shadow where he takes on different identities as he goes through his schemes, right? To the point where one of them was a taxi driver, um, which is straight out of the shadow. Uh, one of them was a playboy. One of them was uh, a mercenary. Uh, you mean much was, like Batman? Uh, well, the difference being is that Batman had two identities, Batman and Bruce Wayne. And this is... Oh, the, no. They're okay. Batman. Patch. What, what was that? No, no that's Wolverine. No. I'm that's talking Wolverine, about sorry. the cab driver that Batman, that Bruce Wayne is sometimes. Bruce Wayne has done this entire shtick. So it's when I'm that's saying fair. Batman, I'm I'm poking fun at Moon Knight. Yeah, that, that that that's fair, and, and I, to be fair, I mean honestly, the initial run of Moon Knight was it was well, the first dozen or so issues is kind of Batman-ish, right? Mm -hmm. uh, rich playboy gets his kicks of being a mercenary. Um, he has uh, a French assistant, which is called Frenchie because of course he is. Uh, he has a girlfriend who knows everything about him, but her main role is to sit at home and worry about him dying sometime off in an alleyway. Uh, and then it gets weird. Um, at some point in time, it's like, okay, well, the reason why he does this is because he believes that he's working for the Egyptian god Khonshu. And he is the fist of Khonshu, and he is there to try to protect people on behalf of Khonshu. Does he have superpowers? Nope. Just thinks he's following an Egyptian god. Uh, then it turns out retroactively that he did actually die and was resurrected by an Egyptian god. So sometimes he comes back from the dead. Intentionally, as opposed not just generically because he's a Marvel character, but actually explicitly part of his power set. Uh, well, do you want to really get into his powers? How even when he was known to have an association with Kanchu, they could never determine if he had powers. And then the scale of those powers was, I, I'm barely as strong as Captain America to I'm stronger than Thor. Yes. Where I right. beat the super adaptoid by myself in a dimension full of moons in the West Coast Avengers. Dun, dun, dun. All right. Right. Sorry. He goes in West Coast. Yeah. He, he was also in the near the tail end of the Defenders. Um, so he became for, so really his, a lot of time. It was like the. He, someone liked this character and kept shoving him into other comics. So he's just been around. Um, and every once in a while, some writer comes along and says, I really want to write Moonlight. And they reinvent him radically. Um, so a, a quick tour of, of Moon Knight uh, in the sense that he uh, uh, has been the, the avatar of God. He's been resurrected by gods. Uh, he's come back from the dead. He occasionally has super strength, sometimes super speeds and super reflexes. As you said, sometimes it's the I can barely be Captain America to I can beat Thor. Um, one time he actually became a god himself. Um, one time he possessed the Phoenix Force, which means that he is therefore like every other Marvel character on the planet because everyone's had the goddamn Phoenix Force at one point or another. I think Miles Morales had a Phoenix Force at this point. Um, 
Moon Knight has had several solo series, but none of them I think have gone beyond a dozen issues after the first one. Do you uh, know my favorite one of that of his miniseries? Because I have one series that I even like of Moon Knight. Oh, which one's that? You want to guess? Is it? The, it's not the Warren Ellis one, is it? I don't think so. It's the one where um, he leaves and moves to Los Angeles. And he has a former S.H.I.E.L.D. operative as his tech guy. And his current additional personalities are Wolverine, Spider-Man, and Captain America. And he has tech that emulates their powers. And he runs around (laughs) Los Angeles. I think he has a TV show of his own of Moon Knight, but he's still doing Moon Knight stuff. And he ends up battling Count Nefario with Echo. Right. No, I was unaware of that one. Um, <laughs> I love it and I hate it so much all at once. It's my gift and my curse. Moon Knight is. <clears throat> so what we're left with is a white man who is occasionally Jewish, depending on who writes him, uh, who serves an Egyptian god. Although whether that is literally true or just a delusion is unclear. Uh, who also has mental illness. Uh, and basically the only reason why he's not as popular as Deadpool is because he's not actually funny. Uh, because otherwise he would just feel a lot like Deadpool, right? Um, here's just a bunch of stuff layered on him. Uh, so when I say he's a problematic singularity, he has a checkbox of things that a bad writer could really screw up very easily. And do most we, of them have. <laughs> do we want to dis- discuss uh, Randall Specter, his brother, Shadow Knight, who then goes and kills his girlfriend of the time? I oh god, is that your fridge? Somebody? Oh jeez. So I, I've I have a little a little bit of knowledge of Moon Knight because I as I I think it, I've established now I was a huge Avengers fan, mostly West Coast and then normal Avengers. And Moon mm-hmm. Knight was a key member of the West Coast Avengers for a while. So I read yes. up a little bit on him. Yeah, no, um, I, I remember his West Coast Defenders run. I remember a little bit of his Defenders run. Um, but even like in the West Coast Avengers, it was just like, if I remember correctly, wasn't it just, he basically says, hey, I'm an Avenger now. And, and Hawkeye's like, well, we need somebody. So I guess you're in. Because yep. I, I, I think it was during the run where Hawkeye couldn't get anybody to join. <laughs> almost. And, and then he just pretty much dates Tiger for a while. And then... Tiger, Moon Knight, and Mockingbird all leave after an incident. Right, right. When 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 Moon Knight's like, yeah, I'm I'm done. Um, uh, but uh, anyway, so um, to be clear, uh, 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 Moon Knight is now canonically Jewish uh, because a Jewish writer came in uh, later on and solidified that that uh, Mark Spector is Jewish. Um, other writers, because of the nature of the character, other writers have come in and said that Mark character may in fact just be a personality and may not be real. So that's why this gets nebulous as to whether he's Jewish or not. Um, uh, so this caused some controversy last year um, when Oscar Isaacs was revealed. Oscar, Oscar Isaac was revealed to have been cast for it. Oscar Isaac is not Jewish. Uh, he is Cuban. Um, and this caused some some concern and controversy about his casting. Uh, uh, let us just kind of skip to uh, one of the episodes we're going to talk about today real quick and just say that his Jewish faith is in no way meaningfully addressed in this show. Uh, so they kind of don't deal with the issue by just ignoring it. Which 
there need I <clears throat> as in most issues with comics, there needs to be more representation of all different groups. And for instance, as someone that has a, a Jewish daughter trying to show her superheroes that are Jewish has been a little bit complicated and difficult to do. Right. Because after pretty much uh, Benjamin J. Benjamin J. Grimm and Kitty Pride, you and Magneto, that. depending on which <laughs> iteration of Magneto you want to show a nine-year-old child, uh, right. it starts getting difficult. Yeah. Um, but I bring that up and work <clears throat> towards the show because this show surprisingly does a lot mostly right in that front. Um, the first thing is they do have an Egyptian director. Uh, who, who handles the show. Um, so a lot of the Egyptian material is manages to walk a line between being comics accurate and uh, uh, appropriate to presenting Egypt in a faithful light. Uh, so uh, they do a lot to try to reduce a lot of the, for lack of a better word, Orientalism of Egypt in comics. Uh, and... Same with the dissociative, dissociative identity disorder. Um, they actually had people uh, in the writing team who uh, did research and talked to uh, psychiatrists and psychologists about the disorder and tried to present it accurately while still needing to make changes because this is not real world DID. This is comic book inspired by a Egyptian god DID. Uh, so it has been modified, but again, they do try to bring some lived experience of DID to the show. So if you want accurate present representations of Egypt and accurate representations of DID, you're not going to get those because they have to bend to the extremely weird concept we're working with here. But they did what they could to two of the three parts of Mark Spector to try to present those as faithfully as they could given the restrictions they had. So it's still frustrating that they couldn't get all three of those in, um, particularly because one of the episodes actually kind of hinges on that point. Um, but it was a lot of work for an extremely minor character. And I would argue we are now reaching a stage of the Disney Plus shows where this is what this stuff should be used for. This should be used for, let's take a minor character that no one cares about, Try him out for six episodes, present him to the audience, see if he hits. If he does, we'll elevate him to movies and other stuff. If not, then it was a fun run and we put him on the shelf. Uh, it's not tied to the other movies in any way, the other shows in any way. There's minor references to the other MCU stuff here and there. But generally speaking, it is a self-contained bit. And I think that this is where the Disney Plus stuff is best suited for, even if it's for such a strange choice of character. Well, if they didn't do Moon Knight, who else would they have done that is a solid D-list character that has been on the Avengers team? Well, I myself think Definitely they should have broke, broke out uh, Triathlon. I don't think that he would have got anywhere. Or uh, 3D Man, if you remember him. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I mean, and I guess that's fair. Uh, Moon Knight... I mean, the, to be frank, I mean, we don't joke about it, but they didn't really have someone in the Batman mold yet in the Marvel Universe, right? Someone who is a loner character who investigates strange mysteries and has a vigilante streak. So 
I suppose from that perspective, Moon Knight makes a certain degree of sense. Especially uh, if Blade is already aimed at the movies. Otherwise, you'd break out Blade. Right, because right. you want that, that supernatural aspect that they're looking for. Right. And that, and that's that's actually why I think maybe Moon Knight was chosen was more the supernatural aspect of the – we need to reinforce that magic in the world outside of the Doctor Strange, uh, Scarlet Witch dichotomy because that's a whole separate thing. Um, Moon Knight also kind of sets up in a lot of ways um, – some upcoming shows, uh, at least tonally. There's no direct reference to them, but the concepts they introduce here do play into, like, for example, uh, Ms. Marvel. Or, uh, yeah, uh, Ms. Marvel. Um, the idea of different dimensions and people coming from different dimensions. Uh, that's something that's not really addressed in the metaverse stuff. This is kind of a slightly different take on the metaverse stuff. Like, it's not quite the same as Loki. It's a different approach. But but this is, okay, these kinds of things happen, so when they happen again in different shows, it's like, okay, I, I remember that happening in Moon Knight. But again, I feel like this is where the MCU, if it goes forward, is going to be better suited for this kind of stuff that, let's be blunt, Moon Knight was probably never going to be a feature film, right? No, one, no one's going to shell out $100 million and hope to get that money back by putting Moon Knight on the big screen. You say that. Who would have thought that Guardians of the Galaxy would have done as well as it did? That that was a bunch of like C-list characters that they put into a massive franchise that got a trilogy of movies. Right, but see, Guardians of the Galaxy came out at a time where Mar where Disney slash Marvel um, needed to keep making hits, and so this was the only avenue they could do it in. Um, so it's like let's put a movie out, and we're willing to risk the money to happen. Now the MCU is is much more conservative, right? They're, they're making sequels off established properties, um, and every time at this point in time, every time they've tried something that's outside of the area, it's not done well. The Eternals didn't do well, which is sad because I actually kind of like the Eternals as a movie, um, but it really didn't do well. Um, so only thing that consistently does well are things that are tied to things that happened in previous phases. So now they have this avenue to like do something a little lower stakes to try to tooth things out. But you know, the reverse is true. I mean, um, Armor Wars was supposed to be one of these shows and they had enough confidence in it that they're now making it to a movie. Uh, so it's like, I, I, it does go both directions. Um, but Moon Knight's kind of in that Firm category of when most people think about the Disney Plus shows, Moon Knight's not going to be on very many people's number one spot, but it is a very solid effort. And I personally feel like from a structural standpoint, it sets a tone that subsequent Disney Plus shows will do to better effect. And we'll talk about those when we get there. Before we move away from the movies, are the reasons I think the movies aren't doing as well is that they started with Iron Man. At the end of Iron Man, they gave you a hook that let you know there's a larger story that's going to unfold, like in a comic mm -hmm. book. And then they proceeded to back that up with other movies with those little tie-ins. And then they stopped doing that pretty much for phase four or whatever it is that we're in. And yeah. that has definitely hurt them. And now they're trying to get back around to finding it. And part of the issue is Thanos was popped up and Thanos was definitely a scary villain. At no point in time, did Ant-Man beat Thanos by themselves, how you have with Kang. So already you've undercut that awesome threat that you had. Right. Because with, with, hurts with Kang. future things. Right. I mean, with, with Kang, it's like you, you set up a version of him at the end of Loki. He gets defeated. You set up a, spoiler, set up a version for him in Ant-Man 3. He gets defeated. Um, and so it's like, yes, technically speaking, uh, uh, those are variants of him. But reality is, is that, well, this guy would beat twice already. So why is the core guy going to be harder whereas Thanos you're right is they they they'd spent 
from the time they first showed Thanos to the time where he actually was fighting with the Avengers in real war time is like four years. So we have plenty of time to build up the mystique around him. And he never lost. Right. Until like the very last movie is when he finally lost. So you have an undefeatable villain. They, they warped it. They'd pull the war from the Hulk to even reestablish mm-hmm. in that movie how powerful Thanos was. And they have not done that with any other villains. Uh, anyway, so do you have anything else you want to talk about in regards to Moon Knight, both as from a comics or from a TV show before we dive in? So I know you've told me that he's sort of related to a god, but what actual powers, like literal honest to God powers, has Moon Knight showed in the comics that I can expect to see in this series? Uh, I can throw a dartboard and hit a comic book and tell you what the issues comics powers are. <laughs> um. Because so I'm most, watching a superhero show, so I know he's got to have superhero powers or superhero technology. Uh, so the more most consistently, and I, I am by no means a Moon Knight completeness. I'm going only by what I've read of his. Um, it generally falls into what you said is kind of the Batman or, or Daredevil category of what is ostensibly uh, maximum potential for a human of strength, speed, and reflexes, but in reality, due to the nature of the narrative, is actually slightly superhuman. Um, he, he survives things that no human should naturally survive. Um, uh, he is slightly more powerful or faster than humans could reasonably be. Uh, so he, then it's all mocked up to training, quote unquote. Uh, at one point in time, his powers varied by his personality, which is very kind of Crazy Jane from uh, Doom Patrol, which sadly we never covered. Um, sometimes he has the Phoenix Force, like I said. I mean, it, sometimes he cannot be killed. He's immortal. It, 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 it just depends. Uh, the power set we see in this show, as I understand, is not entirely consistent with any of his comic book appearances. Uh but it is mostly there. Basically, like his suit appearing supernaturally, I think is distinctive to this show. Question mark. It is, which I think is the coolest thing in this entire series, by the way. Yeah, right. Um, if only uh, he could have done a little spin dance like Sailor Moon. Right, so he can briefly become naked and then get his clothes on. Oscar Isaac is a good looking man. I'm not going to lie. I'm not. No, I'm I, I, speaking as a, a, a relatively straight man. Oscar, Oscar mm-hmm. nice. Um, uh, also, uh, I will say distinctive to this version, um, he has the superpower of having a decent British accent. Uh, so that is also distinctive <laughs> to this version oh, no, of All right. Name. We've got to talk about that now because there is a lot of hate online about the accent he was doing. Are you telling me as an American that is what British people sound like? Okay, I'm coming off the uh, butcher from the boys vibe of, of accent, so my, my my bar has been adjusted pretty low. Um, but minor spoiler for what we're going to talk about. In defense of Oscar Isaac, we learn there's a reason why his accent is not 100 accurate. There's there's an in world reason for that. So I give it a pass because it is explained. Um, and also, uh, uh, well, I'll talk about I'll talk about that in episode one a little bit. Um, uh, but generally speaking, going back to the point, um, his powers are just he's a really tough fighter. 
frankly. <laughs> it's pretty okay. much how it is. Uh, this show reframes it into he is the, the fist of Khonshu. Um, and so there's a little bit of supernatural edge to it. Uh, but we are, I think, to your earlier point, we're kind of in the slightly below Captain America power level on this show, which is pretty – where he's pretty consistently shown in the comics as well. That, that, that's my last comment. I, I, will, I will rib you no longer. I will retract my plank that I put out to see if I can catch you <laughs> about the accent. I'm ready, sir. Uh, well, we will talk about it. But don't worry. We'll get back there. Uh, anyway, episode one, The Goldfish Problem. Stephen Grant works at the British Museum in London, where he hopes to become a tour guide using his knowledge of ancient Egypt. After going to sleep one night, he wakes up in the Austrian Alps and witnesses a cult meeting led by Arthur Harrow, who demands a scarab Grant unknowingly has in his possession. As he attempts to escape, he has several blackouts and hears a mysterious voice in his head for waking up in his home. Grant realizes that two days have passed since he went to sleep. He finds a hidden phone and key card in his apartment and receives a call from the most frequent number in the phone's call log, a woman named Layla who addresses him as Mark. The next day at work, Grant is confronted by Harrow, who reveals that he is a servant of the Egyptian god Amit. Grant re- escapes from Harrow, but is forced to remain at work that night on his own for being made up to make up for being late. Harrow summons a jackal-like creature to attack Grant, but his reflection asks to take control of their body. Grant agrees, transforming into a cloaked warrior who kills the jackal. And uh, so this is kind of the, the point I was going to make earlier. Um, th- I don't know. I don't know if they filmed in London. I really feel like they had to have because there are bits of the outside scenes. I'm like, I think I've walked by there, right? Um, so at least the exterior shots seemed pretty consistent with 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 my my limited experience of living in London, and uh, even some of the interior stuff, like like. It looked like bits of the British Museum. Uh, so even if it was a set, they did a pretty good job of making it look like the British Museum. So uh, there was definitely a strong effort to ground Stephen into being British, which is necessary for the reveal we're going to get in a few episodes from this time. Uh, so while his accent is is a little dodgy at times, and I will admit to that, um, also the way he talks is a little more authentic, I guess. Like, Butcher sounds like a cartoon stereotype of someone from East London. <laughs> right? It, it, it's like, basically, short of saying core blimey governor, he's <laughs> basically just a cartoon. Uh, Stephen Grant is a little more natural uh, uh, cadence to his language. Um, it, it's not as slang-laden. Um, he, he talks like an awkward guy but who lives in London um, All right, with then. a suspiciously I, large flat. This is what two said. I need to know who is better at, at their accent. Then. Is, is Butcher better, Butcher from the boys, or is Bert, Bert from Mary Poppins better? Which one's better? Uh, yeah, that's a tough call, but Butcher is only very slightly better. <laughs> but man, it's close. Okay, thank you. Um, and to be fair, I'm not like, an expert on on British accents, certainly. I mean, I, I've only lived here for a certain amount of time, and, and I'm starting to learn the nuances of, of the various accents. Uh, but when I watched this, when I watched this, I lived in the U.S., and I was like, oh, okay, you know, he lives in London, that's great. Now that I'm here in London watching it again, I was like, oh, okay, that, they actually made an effort to make it look like he's living in London. So, so I appreciate that effort. 
I want people to know that Eddie moved to the UK just for this episode for all of you. <laughs> yes, I'm moving back after this. I'm, I'm done. I'm out. <laughs> Uh, as part of my, my in-depth research for this this podcast, as I spent hundreds of thousands of dollars just to record this as much as possible. Um, so for the start of this episode, though, I think it's interesting that they chose to start with Harrow instead of Stephen. Ethan, Ethan Hawke's character instead of actually our protagonist. Yeah. Um, actually... I have to say that that very first episode where he grinds up glass and then steps in, puts mm-hmm. it into his sandals. I both times I've seen it now. It, I, it's hard for me to watch, and it's like I know it's fake glass. I know what's going on here. It's candy glass. His feet are fine, um, and in fact, it's probably even unlikely that there's glass in those slippers at all. It's all sound effects, but it's so well done that it's deeply uncomfortable to watch. <laughs> But you're right. It sets up an interesting perspective because because when you're first watching the show and you don't entirely know the conceit of what's going on, it's just like, okay, we see the villain first, then we see the main character and blah, blah, blah. Um, but the show is going to go to a route that's kind of almost – it's not to the level of the prisoner, but it, it certainly has moments of that what is really true vibe that we talked about when we discussed the prisoner. Uh, and, and I think that's – uh, uh, this is also it's also a bit of memento uh, Nolan's film in the sense of we are not getting the full details and it's only by steadily filling in the gaps previously do we start to understand what's really going on mm-hmm. uh, so it is interesting that we start with Harrow because ostensibly the show is entirely from Stephen's viewpoint and then that breaks down over time, but there's reasons why that breaks down. So the fact that we have that moment of something that cannot be in Stephen's viewpoint is interesting and sets up the set expectation of maybe the show is from Harrow's viewpoint. Uh, my argument, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm dancing around the whole episode's mystery a bit here, um, I, I think the whole show is actually from Khonshu's viewpoint, frankly. Uh, and that's something that it is kind of unclear, but given bits and pieces and, and tells, I'll bring them up as we kind of talk through them. I think Honshu is actually the viewpoint character for this entire show. Uh, and so that explains maybe why he sees Harrow here. Hmm. Interesting. Um, one of my arguments for that, uh, well, actually, um, so we, we, we have uh, the fact that Stephen is perfectly content to be tied to his bed and has sand around his bed and a tape on the door. Uh, and we, we learn through the first couple of scenes that he appears to just be a sleepwalker. That what he thinks the problem is. It's like, it's kind of annoying, but basically I find myself waking up in weird places. So I'm just trying to stop my sleepwalking. Uh, and, um, what we learn about halfway through, I mean, like the summer kind of skips over a lot of stuff, but also it's because it's a very slow burn from this first episode is that he's actually someone's taking control of his body because he's, he, he actually has blackouts. Uh, like, like he literally just wakes up in the Alps and there's no explanation how he got there. You're skipping uh, over his job. It like, and how well respected he is regardless of how knowledgeable he is. I don't think that's anything that any of us could ever, ever understand. <laughs> that's fair. Um, yes, he's, he is, uh, works at the gift shop of the British Museum, and he wants to be a tour guide, uh, and everyone gives him shit 
uh, um, the the security guard gets his name wrong. Um, his boss just doesn't give a shit. Um, and he basically just ends up being a tour guide for free. Just starts educating uh, like a random child about cool stuff from ancient Egypt. The um, level of harassment he gets is almost, if at least in the states ability to press to go to hr which you should never do because hr is really a co- corporate tool that's going to like crush you under the weight instead of helping you but you could file a harassment complaint certainly um i was i, I did notice um oh look it's a person of color being abused by white people about his lack of knowledge it's like huh that is an interesting choice uh, but again that's one of the reasons why i actually thought it was surprisingly accurate to my experiences because uh, a london people who don't live here, never been here, is way more diverse than perhaps media and culture, pop culture presents it as. Um, and, and so, yes, we have racism here too. And that is actually one area where it does manifest. So it was like, okay, no, we're just we're just going to address this. Uh, well, we're not, re- not going to address it, but at least we're going to present it, I should say. Because um, it actually never gets addressed. Uh, but it does get presented. And the And it takes a particularly distinctive British approach to it is like, oh no, it's not because you're a person of color. It's because you're kind of a weirdo who's unreliable. Um, so uh, it's it's kind of an interesting uh, approach to how they do it. Because again, it's, it's British culture, in my experience, is a lot more classist than racist in that regard. I mean, it still has racist problems, um, but uh, uh, it manifests more as classism. And so the classism is really kind of showing up here. I would just say, so we don't go into the entire thing as two Americans, uh, both can be true. Well, sure. Right. Absolutely. Um, it's just how it's spun. Yeah. Uh, uh, but anyway. Um, but that so, just seems important given what's going to happen in a few minutes. Yeah. No, that is a good point. Because um, uh, he is very knowledgeable. Uh, so he appears up in the Alps uh, and he just has a metal scarab in his hands. And... <laughs> I'm, I'm waiting. You know, you know. If you don't mention, it, I'm going to talk about it. So go ahead. I'll mention it. Talk about it. I I loved. I'm not completely sure of the, the sequence of events, but how he waves at someone in a window when he first shows up there and gets shot mm-hmm. at. Like that is yes. just an encapsulation of the character that Oscar Isaac is portraying in this incarnation of him, and it is funny because that's what we've seen of Stephen so far, and shows you the real life situation that he's gotten into. Cause if you have no knowledge of what's going on, that is something that would grip you and pull you into it. Coupled. Right. And that, and that's what's, what's really a thing important for this first episode is that Stephen Grant is a nice guy. He's weird, but he's a nice guy. And he is directly dumped into a horrifically violent situation which is a fantastic way to get an audience to be on this character's side in a very short period of time. And the comical scenes of him trying to give the scarab over is, is perfect. I loved it. Like I would yes. give you this thing. I don't want to be here. And his body is constantly fighting the entire time, which we right. still don't know about the different personalities yet. So that's making, why is he doing that? Like he could either try to fight him. He could try to run away, but it, it, has the illusion of him wanting to give it to him, but yet he refuses to do it. And he's hearing a voice. Right. Um, and that's one of my arguments for uh, why I think this shows ultimately from Conshu's perspective is because it's Conshu's voice that we're hearing, although we don't know that at this time. Um, and 
initially Grant doesn't even hear that voice. The audience hears that voice, but Grant doesn't. Later on, Grant starts to hear the voice. Um, but particularly the voice saying things like, oh, that's the idiot again. Um, now, spoiler for when we meet Kanchu, Kanchu's a jerk. Just be clear. Um, and then it's pretty consistent with the comics. Kanchu's a jerk. Um, uh, so we, we have and this. Okay. Oh, well, I'm my, all right. My largest complaint. Well, that I'll, I'll mention right now for the entire show that runs throughout it is the constant going to blackouts before there's a real fight scene. I know, understand it cuts down on budget for some of the first episode. It also helps endear you more to Steven, because if you see Steven killing people, you'll lose some of that initial love that we need the character to follow him through this journey. But as a viewer and a comic book fan and someone that was expecting a superhero show, because regardless of all the things, issues and pauses with Moon Knight, Moon Knight is a daredevil like fighter who pummels you to death right. and then comes back and hits you one or two more times just to make sure. And to not have that hurt this show, in my opinion. Having said that, I loved the cupcake fight in the truck. <laughs> and well, that's an interesting point. Like, um, that's interesting. I'm not, I'm not sure I entirely agree with it, but let's, let's kind of, we'll, we'll walk through, I'll put a pin in that because I don't think we can come back to that a little bit, but uh, I think for this episode, it was a good choice to leave the audience out. Uh, and you have Grant continually showing up in increasingly implausible situations. Uh, my, my thing where I think get hurt is that there, I think there's just a touch too much humor in those moments that undercut the horror of what's going on. Uh, so, I mean, I, I think I think we're kind of looking at the same problem from slightly different perspectives um, in the sense that we, we don't know that Grant is a badass fighter yet. We suspect it. Uh, but then he's kind of silly. And so it's like, so what's really going on? What is, what is this show supposed to be like? But Grant isn't a badass fighter. Spectre is a badass well, right, fighter. Right, 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 right. I'm saying it's like, and we, we have we, Grant. And so the reason I want to make that distinction now is for another point I'm going to make later on. Okay. Specifically. Right. And I think part of the reason for the cupcake fight and the humor here is that it's a Disney Plus show. While sure. I want it to be like a PG 13 plus at least, it is not. Right. It's maybe a PG. Maybe like a soft, we can get like an 11 year old to watch the show to up our viewership. Right. And, and, and to go back to the Batman analogy, I mean, I, I think this is a case where because Moonlight is so inconsistently written, he inadvertently then becomes a character that can have a wide variety of styles. Um, and so it's the much like Batman, you could you can have Batman all the way from Adam West to, um, you know, super bloody Dark Knight. Right. The back to Batuzi. Yes. Um, uh, as audio is a visual medium, I'm glad you all got to see me do the Batusi. How Eddie? Yes, yes, exactly. Um, so uh, I'm not mad about it. Certainly, I actually quite like this episode a lot. Uh, it's just that certainly when I was watching, I was like, I wasn't quite sure where the show's going because, like, we start with a, a, a shot of a man walking on broken glass, and now we have a fight with cupcakes happening, uh, and in. And in, interspersed with the, the, the um, blackouts, really bloody things have happened. So 
I feel like that actually sets up an expectation for what we actually as Mark of like how ruthless he is that I argue the rest of the show doesn't actually pay off. Um, so uh, it, it, it works badly in different ways. But All right. This is potentially a spoiler for the entire show. So I'm stating it now. If you don't want to hear it, I'm going to say maybe skip like the next 15 seconds. Starting now. I suggest to you that it is not Mark that killed all those people, but Jake Lockley. Because mm. Mark is a good fighter that kills people, but he doesn't have that level of brutality how we will see that Jake does. Well, we don't see, but we would have seen fair if enough. we watched another fair episode. Enough. Fair enough. That's fair. End spoiler. Okay. Um, run along, so I'm going to kind of uh, skip ahead a little bit. Um, so uh, eventually Grant gets back to his apartment uh, and finds the, the, the flip phone, which was such an amazing moment. Uh, of like, how long have you had this problem that you have a a, a razor flip phone hidden away? Uh, and he gets a call from Layla, who he doesn't know, but she dresses him as Mark. And so we realized, and also that there's like I think there was a, a passport and some money as well as, as no no wait, no sorry the key, the key card led to. Uh, uh, the bank where he got the, the passports and all the other stuff. I'm mistake. I think it's a flip phone because don't flip phones hold charges, charges longer than our new current phones with all the widgets that drain more battery. Oh, you know what? I think you're right. Actually, I think I had thought about that, but you're right. That may have been an intentional choice. That's just my, my writer research. Look at, look at you. <laughs> now that I, now that I'm the fist of Conchu and I run around doing things on the side, purely a writer with research. I now have all sorts of questions about where you go. We don't answer my emails for a couple of days. <laughs> so we're, uh, uh, we're at the museum, right? <laughs> right. So yes, yeah, so we're at the museum um, where uh, uh, again, we see another recap of uh, Grant Beatry like crap by his coworkers. Um, although there was an amazing moment, which I appreciate a little more now of a grant coming in, talking to guards. Like, hey, so if someone weird comes in, can you just like keep them out? And it's like, it's a free museum, mate. I can't really not let people come in. It's like, oh, yeah, just like, you know, not, no, it's anyone can come in. That's literally the whole point of this museum. <laughs> Thank you for mentioning that. I want to ask you specifically, is that in fact a free museum? Because yes. having traveled around quite a bit, I know in the DC metro area, a lot of the museums are free, but having left that, a lot of museums charge you to go and enjoy the sights and views and wonders they have. So, um, uh, uh, having been to a few museums now, um, there obviously are some museums, particularly private museums that are, you just have a cost to get in. Uh, but generally how most museums seem to work in London, at least, uh, is that they're generally free to come in. And so you have the kind of general exhibits are free. They usually have special exhibits that are a separate ticket charge to go see. Interesting. Um, and also at least the British museum does have a, a, very strong encouragement. There's a huge bowl in the entry opening area um, where it says, you know, a $5 or five pounds uh, entrance fee is encouraged. And a big bowl of all the money sitting in that you should be putting your money in. So it's like really, really encouraging you to pay extra five pounds to get in, but you don't have to. Now you have me envisioning, at least in Sherlockian times, the same museum, but they will pay urchins pennies to walk around with a little sign that says shame for anyone that didn't put money into the bowl. Shame. 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 Uh, but yeah. I'll write that later. Sorry. Um, 
but yeah, so, the, so the, that, that was a genuine, genuinely funny moment. Uh, it's like, I, know, I, I, I can't, because can also there's like 12 doors to get into. The <laughs> there's just no way to say, hey, you, you can't go in. It, 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 that's dead right. Um, uh, but then, of course, uh, uh, Grant's confronted by Harrow, and we find out something was alluded to in the earlier scene is that there's a whole cult working for Amit. And of course, of course, Everyone nearby happens to be working for the Amit cult because that's just how these movies or shows work, right? It's the you're a cult leader, so everyone around the protagonist is also supported by the cult. That's just how these shows go. So well, if my cult was was linked to Egyptian gods, they'd all, of course, work in museums in some capacity across the world. Right. In this case, though, it's the one was the guard, one was a worker, one was just a random tourist that happened to be there. Um. But, uh, he but again, like, with if the entourage, if you're, if you're if you're coming to trap someone, it does make sense that you would back them into the Egyptian exhibit and then surround them with people that work for your cult. So I'm not even mad about it. It's just more like it's a funny moment. Like yeah, this is how these 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 kinds of stories work. Uh, and then there's the CGI jackal creature, which gets summoned, uh, and then uh, Grant runs into the bathroom, and then we have the first real explanation of what's going on. Um, where his reflection does not match up, Grant's reflection does not match up to what he's doing, uh, and starts talking back to him in an American accent, uh, and that's Mark Spector. And he keeps talking about, you need to give me control, give me control of the body. Uh, eventually, Grant does, uh, and then the Moon Knight suit wraps around him. So we actually see, at the end of the first episode, suit up, which is a huge improvement over taking the entire season to suiting up. So props on that front, at least. Uh, spoiler, also probably one of the last times you're going to see the suit, so, you know, enjoy it while you can. <laughs> uh, but then um, Moon Knight continues to beat the crap out of the maybe ghostly jackal. It's a little unclear. It's kind of sandy, spectrally. It's a little vague. Supernatural but jackal. Supernatural jackal thing, creature guy. Uh, also, there are way too many mirrors in that bathroom. Uh, just a disturbingly large amount of mirrors in that bathroom. Are you saying uh, that when you walk in a bathroom, you don't want to glance and see everyone else's junk, even if you had no attention to, to try to wash your to hands? Infinity. Reflected to infinity. Um, uh, but I mean, I, honestly, I, I think this last few minutes of the show, it shows you that it, it's, it gives you a taste of what this show is going to be, right? Like in the sense that we've talked before about how Marvel shows try to be multiple genres and kind of sacrifices one genre in favor of another genre. And this is true of this one. This is kind of supernatural mystery plus superhero show. Weirdly, this the genre that actually falls apart is the superhero part. Um, because this is a lot more Indiana Jones than Daredevil, right? Uh, so a lot of CGI goes into the mirror special effects that we're going to see a lot of going through this. And they're cool. Don't get me wrong. This is one of the cooler versions of it. Uh, but it becomes in ongoing uh, trends throughout the show. Uh, and that's where the, that's where the money for the CGI is ultimately going towards this kind of mirror effect, not into superhero fights. Well, after this, like with the end of this pilot episode, which I know you say you loved it. I was, I was okay on it, but the final scene let me think that I'm going to get uh cold Jack meets blade. And that is a show I wanted to watch. Right. Instead I got, 
Cole Jack meets National Treasure, which I did not really want. Right, right. Um, uh, uh, you know, or, or Uncharted, right? Um, it, it's... That's a downgrade. The, the, um, the, the, the show is trying to do, this before, the show's doing a lot of things simultaneously, uh, and it's getting some of them right. This show had so much to juggle that, like, I could see why it chose to put the emphasis it did. Um, but this is a weird case of the pilot tells you exactly the show you're going to get, but it's actually like the, the pilot is not wrong about the show you're going to get. It's just that you're expecting the show to go a different direction than it actually does. It's like, no, no, you're going to follow Stephen Grant. This is a show about Stephen Grant. The show sets up like, okay, my expectation is now we're going to follow Mark Spector effectively. Right. It's like, we're going to follow Moon Knight and we're going to do cool visual and supernatural stuff. No, you're going to follow the weedy British guy for the rest of the show. This is the character we're following. And the him skipping all the interesting bits of the adventure, that's the show, for more or less. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I'm with you in the sense of the show sets up false expectations by telling you directly what's going to happen. Because we're expecting it to go a different direction, and it just doesn't. And the shows before this, I enjoyed. And I thought they were good-looking shows. But this felt m closer to like a movie-quality show from the first episode with the pilot. Mm -hmm. That's the grain and feel that I got visually from it. And that was, mm -hmm. felt good and something I wanted to engage with initially. Right. Um, and there's a reason why we skip over two episodes because kind of not a lot happens. Right? Um, it, it's, I feel like if you had this episode cut down a little bit, and then the last few episodes cut down a little bit. You could have just a really solid movie out of this, frankly. Um, mm -hmm. And there's some bits I like about this show. Don't get me wrong. But you're right. It's It sets up to be just on the edge of being almost a horror show. right? You mentioned Kojak, and that's just a really good example of what I thought the show was going to be. Because it's, like, it's creepy. This guy's missing memories, and there's evil jackals and weirdos who walk around with glass in their shoes. This is going to be a dark show. And it ends up being, like I said, National Treasure. And, and it's like, that's not a bad show. Mm, no. And this, and this episode never tells you that's the show you're, go you're not going to get, right? It never tells you it's going to be a horror show. It's just that it's we implied. are trained in a certain way to, to respond to media. And this show just is subverting those expectations in a ultimately slightly boring way. And one of the reasons I specifically chose Kolchak is because Spec Mark Spector in the comics is one of the few really good detectives in the MCU. Like yeah. investigator. Boom. Uh, Jessica Jones. Mm -hmm. Jessica Drew to some extent. And then you got like Mark Spector falling under Misty Knight and somewhere else, but mm -hmm. solid investigative skills, which the show doesn't play up to or lean into, which is a disappointment. Right. Um, and we'll talk more about that uh, in the next episode. But do you have anything else on okay. the first episode to talk about? Uh, Nopes. Okay. Other than Sailor Moon Spin. One more time. That's it. Sailor Moon Spin. Episode four of the tomb. Grant and Layla find a deserted campsite at the location of Amit's tomb, which is a maze in the shape of the Eye of Horus. 
they discover that some of Harrow's men have been killed by undead Egyptian priests, which then attack Grant and Layla. Layla defeats the priests, but encounters Harrow, who claims the specter is one of the mercenaries who murdered her archaeologist father, Abdullah el Thaloi. Grant finds the tomb and discovers that Amit's last avatar was Alexander the Great. He retrieves Amit's Ushabti uh, from inside Alexander's body. Layla angrily confronts Spectre, who reveals his partner killed Layla's father and Spectre himself before Khonshu revives Spectre as his avatar. Harrow arrives and shoots Spectre, who wakes up in a psychiatric hospital populated by people from his life. After escaping from Harrow, who appears as a therapist at the hospital, Spectre finds Grant in a separate body trapped in a sarcophagus. They also see a second sarcophagus with someone else trapped inside before being greeted by a female hippopotamus headed figure. And I said before that the show didn't lie to you about what it was going to be. It kind of goes a certain direction. Um, and that's true for episodes two and three. And then this episode happens where, it, you know, the first half of the episode is solid Indiana Jones bullshit. And then it goes somewhere else for an episode and a half. And we'll talk about the other episode in a minute. So I'm going to kind of actually hold off on talking about the last chunk of this because I feel like it probably supposed to talk about that with episode five because that, that's a really, really this is episode five is escape into episode four. <laughs> you, you're um, saying it can't be constrained to one episode? It, no, it, 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 it has lost control and it has escaped into uh, uh, episode four. Is it like Hungry Hungry Hippos? All right. Had to do it. Please proceed, sir. Talret <laughs> uh, is amazing, and I will accept no slander of her. But anyway. It's, it's um, early in the morning here. I've got nothing but jokes. <laughs> My coffee cup is empty, and now I, I'm ready to get into it. Right. So um, what we skipped over, uh, the only real plot-relevant stuff we skipped over is that Layla turns out to have been uh, uh, Mark's wife, not Grant's. So Layla knows Mark Spector. Uh, and also that um, at one point in time when he was meeting up with Layla, they were captured. Uh, they met up with other avatars of other gods, and they killed Khonshu, which sets up the next kind of problem with this show. Wait, wait, wait. That, if you're going to give a recap, please recap how that went for the trial. I don't remember Mark how it went. I, and Layla sort of came up with some proof about what Hera was doing trying to free like this oh, evil right. god before the council of Egyptian gods. And they said, Harrow, are you going to free this evil god? Harrow, what? Who, me? Hell no. All right. Conchu, you're imprisoned and doomed. Whole trial. Right. Like that. Mm. Right. And then Harrow's like, oh, by the way, this evil god, I'm going to release him now. Thanks. Um, <laughs> which proves that modern people should not try to uh, uh, reanalyze Egyptian myth because they're terrible at it. Nope. Uh, but... Um. Th so, like I said, the the, the show is like, no, we're, we're going to follow Mark Grant, and we're going to do, or sorry, uh, uh, Stephen Grant, and we're going to do archaeology through the lens of the MCU. That's what the, sh the show is until halfway through this episode, and that's not bad. But what we have here is you can almost watch the show running out of steam in this episode. Is it's like, okay, now we're going to spend five minutes dicking around with a star map uh, because we have to figure out which where the stars were at the moment in this time period of ancient Egypt. And 
it, and they spend way too long on this front. Um, lots of Layla trying to come to terms with the fact that the man she loves is the body of the man that she's talking to now, but then she falls in love with the other personality, which is just kind of a weird subplot. And, oh, by the way, uh, uh, Spectre also murdered her father. And he just never mentioned this until now. And I'm like, well, maybe part of the reason why he hasn't mentioned it is because, A, he's the Fist of Khonshu. B, he disappeared for years at a time. And C, but he has multiple personalities. The, some of the writing issues that we've encountered now, though, is that we have no idea how long they've been married. We know that Layla knows he is the Fist of Khonshu. Like, it is stated in one of her authentic comments, like, the best part about Mark was the suit. So you get all this knowledge right. that she already has. Mm-hmm. So there seems to be no reason for Mark to have left or separated from her two months ago, we would assume. Uh, except for a big thing of to keep her safe, whatever that means. She's been running around with him all this other time, raiding tombs. Right. Um, and... If Mark Spector had been presented as, okay, he's just kind of a misogynist, military, mercenary asshole, that thread could have maybe gone somewhere. But no, we're supposed to be kind of liking Mark Spector at this point in time. Um, and again, it's the show's kind of running out of steam here because like, we have to like all aspects of Moon Knight. That, that's the conceit of the show. We have to be engaged with whoever personality is in charge. We have to have some investment in them. But the conflict between Grant and Spectre is increasingly not making sense right now. Now, to the show's credit, it's going to divest itself of that. And it's going to move away from that conflict. But it sets up a a character conflict that is externalized with Layla. But Layla's position in that conflict doesn't make sense, as you said. She has no reason to be invested in Grant. She has every reason to be invested in Mark, uh, except for the fact that Mark has treated her abysmally as a spouse. And so her investment in Mark should be, I want to punch you in the face, which to be fair, she does a couple times. <laughs> um, but it's the it's that kind of annoying, I hate you, you've abused me, I have no reason to be in a relationship with you, but I, I'm still in love with you, so I'll put up with your bullshit storyline, which I, I, I have increasingly less time for these days. Mm-hmm. And it's supposedly validated the fact that, okay, well, I'm actually hanging out with a nice guy, Grant, which, but it's the same body and it's the same person on a, on a fundamental level. So it just makes that storyline, it's a love triangle with only two people, and it's weird, and it just doesn't work, frankly. I'm really curious why they keep trying to get oscar isaac into thruplet couples for instance in the star wars trilogy it would have been ray finn and and poe here it's uh mark steven and layla if people want a thruplet with oscar isaac they should just go and make that movie instead of putting that subplot into every movie he's in i got we we understand we got you go make it happen folks and i kind of want to say that poe and finn have more sexual tension than grant and layla do <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Um, um because I mean to be fair, Grant and Layla are good friends, right? The the, yes. the, the chemistry is very strongly on they are friends, they're buddies that hang out together, and then out of nowhere Layla's like, oh, I'm kind of falling for you. And it's like, why? You know? 
Um, and again, it's the when you start thinking about it, it just gets confused. Where it's like, okay, you're falling for him because you see Mark in him, but Mark treated you like crap. Um, even though we have the reasons for why Mark treated you like crap, and it's just like it, it just it, it's this weird Gordian knot of of sexual tension, which is a sentence I never thought I would say in my entire life. But it's. Yeah. The, the, and the problem is that the reason why you get so wrapped up in this is because the show's kind of going nowhere at this point. It, it's it's we're, we're reaching it's about an episode too long, which is weird because it's only six episodes long. Um, but it's just a bit but too long at this point. To to the specific episode though, mm-hmm. we do get, in my opinion, one of Layla's best scenes where she sort of dispatches armed people by herself yeah. without superpowers. Absolutely. Mind you, I don't think a flare would do that, but I let it go for the awesomeness of that scene. Right. I mean, again, this is we're firmly into the action archaeologist trope, and I'm fine with that. This is the your Indiana Jones, your your like we talk Uncharted, whatever. Um, what you like those shows? Not the point is action archaeologist. It's a thing that exists now, and, and that's where we're at. Great. Layla is an action archaeologist, sure, and her and Grant have some great moments of of nerd bonding. Mm-hmm. Over archaeology. I love that. I'm excited about that. And the the expectation we're kind of sitting up here is that, okay, Grant's the smart one and Mark is the the, the, the bruiser. But they happen to be in the same person. And so they're going to switch back and forth when their skill set makes more sense. I'm even okay with that, right? It's like as, as a concept, it's not bad. It's just that how we get to the priests and – the extra bit of Spectre murdering his father, which by the her father, which by the way doesn't really go anywhere. It's just kind of an extra time killer here. But before we go there, I want to touch briefly on the dichotomy of Layla and Steven working together. Because you have Steven who mm-hmm. has a lot of knowledge. You have Leia Layla who is knowledgeable but has more actual field experience with an expectation that Steven can do to some extent some of the stuff that Mark can do. Like when they're getting ready to to belay down into the tomb itself. Right. And she makes a joke. Like, I can't tell when you're joking and when you're serious mm-hmm. to show that she is still conflicted about their personalities and what they can and can't do. She easily goes down and then we have him sort of stumble down and makes his way in. Right. And, and, and that's just a good point is like, this weirdly undercuts Layla's ability because what we have here is, a, if you think about it, that's nice. Layla is smarter than Mark and more experienced than Grant. So when Grant is in charge, Grant gets to be the brainy one, then Layla gets to emphasize her ability as a combatant and as a tactician. When Mark is in charge, Layla gets to show off her intelligence. So whenever personality is in charge, Layla can fill in the gaps that the personality lacks. So objectively... Mark Spencer is better at Layla in every category, but he can't do it simultaneously. He has to do it in sequence. But it undercuts the fact that Layla is still really good at both of those roles without needing to be a superhero with DID. Mm-hmm. She's just really good. And again, like you said, the show's not even undercutting her necessarily because it gives her some great moments of doing both of those things really well in this episode. It's just that she can't quite escape the gravity well of Grant slash Spectre being a little better in both. Uh, but anyway, so um, uh, we get the flashback of how uh, Spectre becomes 
the Fist of Conchu. And it's well, actually, sorry, we I skipped over a bit. Um, yeah. We I, I, we just skipped over a bit of of uh, Grant recognizing, mummy. yeah, recognizing that uh, the mummy is actually Alexander the Great, um, which is a neat little historical bit. Um, and then shoving his fist inside of the mummy's mouth, which is just simultaneously hilarious and also the worst possible thing you can do as an archaeologist, just <laughs> down the bottom. Like, if there was a list of things you should never do, shove your fist in the mummy's mouth should probably be number one <laughs> for a lot of reasons. Uh, but again, we're, we're, in the, we're in this national treasure territory of just this is the stuff you do as, as an action archaeologist. You just absolutely ignore all reasonable approaches to actual archaeology. If the show had at the start set this as its tone, I would have been okay to watch six episodes of this. Like right, exactly. Them having zany, supernatural, archaeological adventures in tombs and stuff. I would have watched that for six episodes and enjoyed it. The problem that's is the kind that of pulp the, person I am. The, 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 the horror... The, and again, the pulp part, I think, is still established in episode one. It's just that the edges of horror that brought in... Really, I think the ending of episode one changed the tone of the show and threw it off its axis because if you take the ending off, this episode fits right in with the previous, with the first episode. Mm-hmm. Both sides of it do. Um, uh, so anyway, so yeah, so Layla confronts Spectre and then he tells her he killed Layla's father and then we see the flashback of how he became, he actually died. Um, he says he's unsure, but the show makes it clear, no, he actually died and Khonshu brings you back. Um, and so he's the fist of Conchu. But we have this kind of weird moment of like, if, if you're not familiar with how these kinds of shows work, it's that we're reinforcing how tied Mark Spector is to Conchu, but Conchu's dead. So Conchu's gone. So we have this moment of like, this is a very important part of your life for a character that has been written out of the show. If, if you're familiar with these kinds of shows, we know that Conchu's not really dead. Conchu's going to come back because uh, that's just how these shows go. But but at this point in time, Conchu's gone, right? Was, um, I don't think he was dead. I think he was imprisoned, right? It, it was it was the language around it was implied that he was never coming back. Granted, most of that language came from Harrow, and as mm-hmm. the evil overlord, <laughs> you're supposed to be a little hyperbolic. But we, as the audience, don't know how this mystical nonsense works. Um, so. And we've heard nothing from Kanshu except for in this flashback through this whole episode so far. Um, okay, and then uh, Hera arrives, murders Spectre, and he wakes up at a psychiatric hospital. Uh, I want to kind of, Do you want- cool, I'm going to kind of pause here, talk about the yeah. recap of episode five, and then come back to this. That's what I was about to suggest. Okay. Episode five, Asylum. Uh, the hippopotamus-headed woman is the Egyptian god Tauret, who explains that Spectre and Grant are dead, and in the quote-unquote psychiatric hospital is actually a boat sailing through the Duat, the Egyptian afterlife. She weighs their hearts on the scales of justice to determine whether they can enter the field of reeds, but the hearts are imbalanced by hidden memories that she suggests they explore together. Grant sees the memory of Spectre's younger brother Randall drowning and Spectre's mother blaming him for it, while Spectre shows Grant how he became Conchu's avatar while on a mission with his partner Bushman, who murdered Layla's father. Spectre and Grant convince Towerette to help them return to the living world so they can stop Harrow, and she steers the boat towards the gates of Osiris. 
Spectre reluctantly explains the unknowingly created Grant as a result of his mother's abuse. Grant and Spectre reconcile with each other, but their scales fail to balance and hostile spirits attack them, dragging Grant into the Duat where he turns to sand. The scales balance and Spectre finds himself alone in the field of reeds. So that bit at the end, we're just talking about how that changed the tone. Now we're in that part of the show, right? And so again, episode one didn't lie to us. It just didn't say, oh, by the way, the schizophrenic tone in the first episode, yeah, that's actually the whole show. <laughs> and, and schizophrenia here obviously meant slightly ironically, but. Um, I want to start this episode with, mm-hmm. I have an intrinsic issue with a show that lies to me as a viewer. In this episode here, and the and the finale is proof that I was lied to as a viewer, and I was not provided all the context. Uh, in mysteries, I like having all the clues so I can figure out what's going on by myself. And I'm just going to reference my spoiler point would have been here, mm-hmm. hands down. If it is the gods that have pulled that off, they can break down the human psyche and pull out all the different aspects of them. We would have all of that information not the partial one that we have here. Right. Um, which would we destroy their spoiler at the end of the series, which is why they didn't do it. Right. So it's um, what we have here. And I, 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 I obliquely referenced this, which is that um, we're setting up the fact that dimensional creatures can and have come to earth to interfere with society. So up to now, we knew that the gods had power. We knew Kanchu was an existing person. We didn't really have the context for what was going on. This is now explicitly saying that the sci-fi explanation is these creatures have absolute power and have directly been manipulating us for thousands of years, which ties obliquely into Eternal, the Eternals movie, although also simultaneously contradicting it, so well for that. Um, and from a supernatural perspective that those gods that we saw being shut away in contra not, they're just straight up gods there there's no mystery around them they are very much who they say they are and everything that they said is just objectively true which the show has established as being a point of question i think the argument is that how this differs from a mystery is that it's not in mystery terms it's called playing fair which is that Ostensibly, if you were as smart as a detective, you could look at everything the detective had and come to the same conclusions. That is how a Playfair mystery works. Um, and since the 1900s, that is more or less how mysteries have been – should be structured. If a mystery does not follow that structure, it is assumed to be not playing fair and therefore is seen as a lesser version of a mystery. Um, minor digression, but actually Sherlock Holmes stories often very rarely adapt to this and it's one of the weird – Catch twenty twos of one of the most prominent mystery series in the world actually does not conform to the structure that we think mystery should conform to. Meh. Neither does um, Nero Wolf if memory serves. Nero Wolf and Agatha Christie both kind of really established that formula, yeah. Uh, well, Nero Wolf, Agatha Christie wrote those novels. Um, but then uh, uh, other her other novels also kind of continue that formula. Um so the show does not play fair in the sense that it establishes the idea that what is happening to Grant is a result of his relationship with gods. And that's not true. It is, for lack of a term, a mundane reason. 
So his connection to Kanchu is completely divorced from his DID, uh, which sets up the kind of fundamental problem with this whole show, right? Which is that it's simultaneously grounded and supernatural bullshit. And I mentioned before it's running a bit long in the tooth and it could be shorter. But if you want to really have that balance, you have to go the opposite route and actually add even more, right? You need to spend a lot of time really establishing the grand specter relationship and then separately really establishing the surreal nature of being involved in literal gods in your world. The fact that episode four kind of just shifts gears shows the problem. And again, I we, we spent a lot of time talking about the prisoner and the, this this chunk is very kind of similar to that that surreal Twin Peaks the prisoner nature of let's play with the metaphysics and the meta text of the show and let's make it confusing as to what's real and what's in the character's minds except for the fact that the hippopotamus kind of tips the cards on this whole thing right it's like as soon as you see a hippopotamus saying hey I'm the Egyptian goddess tower who is, again, adorable and one of my favorite parts of the show, um, you kind of stop losing the mystery of whether he's going crazy or not. No. A god stepped in and, and, and took you on a magic boat ride to find your soul. We know you what's happening it. now. You lose it earlier than that. Literally, when Layla acknowledges the suit in Moon Knight, that is a physical person in the world that we know is a real, that is not credited by Mark, or Steven, that has stated Moon Knight exists. Oh, that's a good point. Yeah, right. So, so you're right. Until then, the suit could have been a manifestation of of the ID. Yeah, Moon Knight even could be in the personality. Even in the cameras that they show you later in the museum, it's just you see basically Steven fighting himself, breaking stuff. Right. Because right, the supernatural right. doesn't appear on camera, and until Layla states that, that is when it becomes a solid, certified point. And even more so when they go on their little adventure in episode three to like a place that didn't really matter. And even mm-hmm. on top of that, when Kanchu then turns back the world to look at the stars, yeah. like we, we have solid proof that this, that is a real thing and not just in his mind. Right. Um, so what we kind of have here is a bit of faffing about of Harrow pretending to be a therapist for a while. Uh, and that would have been, again, we're, we're solidly back into two guys in a room talking to each other phase, which normally I, I, I've been an apologist for and firmly behind as general concept for, for quite a few of these episodes. It's just not working here uh, because Harrow is not interesting. He's kind of, one thing we haven't talked about Harrow is generic evil bad guy throughout all of this. He's just not an interesting character. He's kind of the slow, pondering, vaguely nice cult leader archetype, which never goes anywhere. There's never an edge to him at any point in time, except for he's mildly threatening occasionally a couple points. There, there, there's no tension there. It's just kind of blandly evil. And in this show particularly, he should be chewing the scenery, frankly. Um, in interviews, Ethan Hawke said that he chose to go in a different direction because of how over the top I- Oscar Isaac was for Steven. I feel like he needed to match Isaac's energy, not counterpoint it personally. Yeah. Um, 
I can see why he made that decision. I don't agree with it. Uh, especially because nobody in the show is doing that. Even Layla is still heightened, right? Like, if, if you look at her actions in isolation from the rest of the show, she's having massive mood swings through all this because she's trying to match the energy of their personalities in charge. And I feel like that's what you need to do, right? Mm-hmm. Is every time Mark switches, the show should be switching with him. And Ethan Hawke is just not doing that. Um, uh, but again, what we have here is uh, the reason why we, we've realized that Grant is the personality and Mark is the real person. Uh, which again is massively spoiled early on because they're watching a show, a movie in the asylum, which features Stephen Grant. And they make a note of making sure you zoom in the screen and hear him call Dr. Grant several times <laughs> so that the big twist we see 15 minutes later is like, well, I knew that already. Why are you treating us like we should not? We should be surprised by this because we knew that already. You told us that already. You made an effort to tell us that already. And I think the logic was, oh, well, if he's in a delusional state, then maybe you know they're going to use this to try to convince him that you know, a uh, 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 Grant is delusion, which again is weird because that is true. <laughs> so there, it, 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 the, the twist is it's just going to tell us stuff now. So it, it kind of squanders this whole surreal moment, right? Uh, and then we find out that it's because he has an abusive mother, which is a heartbreaking story that's played with zero fucking depth. It's like his, his brother dies for reasons that are clearly not his fault, and his mom just treats him like shit for the rest of his life. And, and the father the lets her do it. And the father right. just lets her do it for a decade. Right. And then we get to a point where it's like the only nod to his Jewish faith is, uh, uh, oh, by the way, we're going to sit you up for her. Now she's dead. And, and – this is where yeah. we get that that happened two months ago, and this is where we get the break that we knew about with Stephen and Mark and how they're switching now. Like this is a point where that's established, so we can then assume that he broke up with Layla around this time frame too. Mm-hmm. So all all this has been going on for about two months, which leads to my validation for the accent in the sense that um, Mark Spencer creates this. British persona when he's a child. And he talks like Americans believe British people talk based on what he saw from a objectively, from the show's perspective, shitty movie. The, mo- the show goes out of the way I say, by the way, this movie was crap. I don't know why they're really invested in that moment, but they really make sure you understand this is a terrible movie. It's like, okay. Uh, I don't know why you're taking swings to Harrison Ford like that, but I guess that's what we're doing now. <laughs> Um, are you mad because he wanted to die in the Star Wars film? Is that what you're? Is that why we're going this way, Disney? Okay. Um, uh, but so I think they're taking swings at the Uncharted movie. Oh, you think that it hasn't been out yet at this point? <laughs> I don't know, but it just felt more more on on point to poke fun at that one. Uh, uh, or uh, I mean, it could be a poke at the the um, Young and Young Adventures. I don't know, but anyway. Um, so we so. He, as a child, he develops his personality, and then over time, he more and more he, he lives more and more as Grant and less and less as Mark Spector. And it is known 
that people who live in countries that they were not born in slowly do eventually adapt their accent as they come more their, their 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 accent becomes more natural and they become more inclined to the way people talk around them. So if he's actually living day to day as Grant, his accent's going to become better, but you never quite lose the original accents. Uh, as you can tell, the 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 the, the Thick, luxurious British accent I have acquired for me six months I've lived in London. Uh, you can hear how, how well I have adapted to the local patois. Um, right, oh, governor. Uh, well, Alf, governor. Uh, so, I mean, the fact that Oscar Isaac sounds mostly like a Londoner, but his accent is not entirely authentic, is completely explained by the show. So, I 100% behind the accent on this because the show diegetically explains why his accent is not. 100% accurate. Um, it does end up raising a whole lot of questions because you're right. Like the math doesn't work because for that to have tracked, Grant's got an apartment and a job, a job. and relationships in two months and has had enough of, has been in that job long enough for his boss to resent him, which means he's either a spectacularly shitty employee <laughs> or this, frankly, the math is just not working here. I feel like there's a year or two that's just frankly missing from this timeline that the show is not actually adequately explaining. And um, I think I think more likely what has happened is that uh, Grant and Mark have been 50-50 living each other's lives. And it's only been two months ago where I went to full Mark Grant's. I think that's what the show is trying to say. And so actually Grant has had a life for several years now. Uh, but again, it's the show is trying to be mysterious. And, but it's also, like you said, it's trying to aim for a Disney plus audience. So it can't be too mysterious. Um, I feel like they got a little gun shy with WandaVision. And so it's like, no, we have to kind of explain what's going on a little faster. And so the whole thing feels a bit flat, but as a result, actually causes more problems by trying to explain more. It actually explains less. See, I would, I, my thing is the exact opposite of that, that he lived more as Mark and Grant only still came out in those very specific situations that were more associated with the mother, because that is the only time we've primarily seen it beforehand. And that mm. is what equivalently sparked it off and why it became so predominant part of his personality. And that Mark then became a secondary subset of that. Cause otherwise the relationship with Layla wouldn't work. Well, someone argued that relationship with Leo didn't work, but I we're, we're going to, we're going in universe. It worked. <laughs> right. And so then that wouldn't work at all. And then she would have known about Steven beforehand. Right. Um, digression. I am, I don't know if I'm pleased, but I'm certainly uh, impressed by the show's commitment to keeping the name Bushman. Um, who was Australian in the original comic. So that was just an awkwardly unfortunate name. He said, nope, we're keeping Bushman. That is a name we're sticking with. That's canon. Yeah. Okay. You, you made that choice. <laughs> I, I, I am going to go back though. I'm not going to, I'm not going to go into the Bushman of it all, but I'm going to go back <laughs> for the comic. The retcon in the comic though, I believe is that Mark's father was a rabbi. Right. So it is even more disturbing with that knowledge to know that, for the storyline they've done that the rabbi father would let that happen to his son for a decade of time. And still not do anything. I've met a lot of rabbis and they are nothing like the actor's portrayal of what we saw on screen. I don't know if he's supposed to be a rabbi or not in the show, but 
Oh, you're right. Um, I'm, I'm just rereading uh, yeah, issue 37. Uh, back in Europe, my father was a figure of reverence. He had been a prodigy, knew the Bible and Talmud by heart before he was 15, was ordained a rabbi at 18. He went on to become a brilliant scholar in the Kabbalah Jewish mysticism. So, yeah, yeah that's a huge change. Um, so, uh, the rest of this is, I mean, it ends in the cliffhanger. Like, okay, so, um, Stephen now realizes that he's the, uh, uh, personality, um, resents this surprisingly short period of time before he comes to accept it. And pretty quickly, the two personalities are just kind of in sync with each other. Uh, and then Grant falls off the... Uh, or, yeah, Grant falls off the boat and basically turns to sand and dies, effectively. That, that's kind of what happens. And that leads to a whole other problem, to, to your point about being lied to. The show told us Grant was the character we're supposed to follow. Grant is our protagonist. Grant is the person that we should care about. He's now effectively dead at the end of episode five and we have an episode to go. Now we need to care about Mark Spector, which the show has given us no reason to give a shit about. So who is this show about, right? And again, the show kind of didn't lie. The show's about Moon Knight and Moon Knight is Mark Spector. We just didn't, we did see Mark Spector in episode one, uh, it, but it, feel, it feels all a bit too clever while simultaneously being a bit too dumb, right? It, it, it's mm -hmm. you're trying to make this a show about big twists and WandaVision pulled that off because WandaVision told you up front here's a weird show but it's about Wanda and Vision and everything from that point was the show was about Wanda and her relationship with Vision the show never at any point lied to you about that but it massively trolled you to try to think no it's really about this nope seriously it's about Wanda no it's about this no it's about Wanda the show kept a strong through and the twists were all things to distract you from the thing that you already knew from day one the first image of film on WandaVision it's about Wanda this show is not about Mark Spector it is about Stephen Grant and Stephen Grant is gone from this show and a frankly pretty perfunctory way in this episode so, so i want to touch you. back the show on lies to you i want to touch back on something that you started with originally somewhat to say that the show is from conchu's perspective but as we've gone through it i now have to think that's not possible because we lost conchu what the end of episode three right um but uh conchu has said several times that he can see both past and future so I feel like Kanchu can see into the future, even though he's not present. Um, but I completely admit that it is my way to try to reconcile this tangled mess of a show, which, as I started at the very beginning, started from a tangled mess of a character. So it, I shouldn't have expected anything different. And I think uh, to kind of get my wrap up here um, – I think that's one of the reasons why this show is almost frustrating in a way. I, 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 I like it. I do like it um, in spite of myself because I had no interest to watch Moon Knight. This is the first Marvel show that I think I have to read up in the comics before I watch it because I didn't know much about the character. And I, and I watched – I read the comics and I watched the show and I like, this isn't what I was expecting. And the show continually was like, this isn't what I was expecting, but not in a fun – I see the threads through this way. It just kind of kept doing different stuff. But to its credit, episode one, it's like, hey, we're just going to throw a bunch of stuff at you. And it sure as hell did. 
But the problem is that I think the first episode showed you this, this, this show could be five different shows. Each person's going to see the one show they want to see in that and they want to follow that show and you're not going to get that show. You're going to get something else, um, which is kind of a problem. It, much like Moon Knight himself, it's a, it's, a, it's a show that's showing a bunch of different characters at, at different times and each, not even each episode as we saw, each kind of chunk of episode time becomes a different show as a show just kind of keeps changing personality throughout. I that that is almost my point that I, I guess I'll use for my wrap up is the show doesn't know who it wants its actual protagonist to be. The protagonist mm. potentially Conchu, Layla, because Layla has a story arc throughout all this, and in the final episode has a different ending. Uh, Mark or Stephen are even to some small extent Harrow because we follow a lot of Harrow's journey and what Harrow does too. Mm-hmm. And it needed to determine who the protagonist was and then shape the show sort of falling around them or who the protagonist protagonist or two protagonists, kind of how Wanda and Vision is mostly about Wanda, but Vision was a primary protagonist of that show also. And it followed their journey together and everything else was secondary. This tried to add almost equal weight to most of the stories and given Stephen maybe 10% more of the weight. Right. Right. I, I feel like if it had... I feel like if you adjusted episode one a little bit to give Steven a little more presence, I think this could have been pulled out. A lot of that thing comes down to editing and just adjusting a little bit. Um, I think there's the bones of a really good, solid show here. Um, but even though I like this show, I can certainly see why we're not going to see Moon Knight showing up in the MCU in soon, which is sad because I think there's a character with a lot of potential. And I think they did a really good job to try to do what they can with a tangled mess of a character, but it's it's it was going to be a hard ass no matter what. And they did the best they could. That's the best thing to say about the show. On the, on the whole, it is an okay show. If people want to go out and watch it, they should just be ready for the frustrating parts about it. I think they should have chosen one iteration of mood night and run with it and say, be damned for what a different subset of fans of this D rank character are going to say, like, this is a character that we're presenting. This is the MCU version of this character. And that's what we're going to do. But they didn't do it. They tried to make everybody happy, and they did not achieve their goal. Yeah. Uh, so on that exciting note, uh, what are we going to talk about next week? Next week, we're going to talk about Shadow Knight, Moon Knight's brother. We're going to do a whole comic <laughs> book run of all of his appearances. That would be 10 minutes long, 15 minutes long? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's how we'll start the episode with. Uh, no, in fact... <laughs> We're going to do the next show, Miss Marvel, uh, season one, episode one, Generation Y, season one, episode three, Destined, and round it out with season one, episode five, Time and Again. I I personally feel like Miss Marvel is is the, the evolution of what Moon Knight tried to do in terms of structure, but we'll see if that pans out. If people are looking for you online, Eddie, where can they find you? Uh, uh, depends on uh, which version of me you're looking for. Uh, much like Moon Knight, I, 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 I have different facets I present to the world. Uh, but most of them can be found through some iteration of the word Pugsteady. That's P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. At my website is Pugsteady.com. You can find me under the name at Dice.Camp. You can find me under that name at Blue Sky. And for the moment, still Twitter, I guess. Whatever. <laughs> How about you? 
Uh, if you're looking for me, if you just look up the words Tarker Who Studios, you can find me on all the sites that Eddie mentioned. And right now, or in the Dark Who Discord, where I am posting by myself, and it's sad. But if you go on to Blue Sky, you can see me posting pictures of myself and my dog. That's about it. That's all I got. Yay! Right best, part, best content. And so with that, we will see you all next week when we talk about Ms. Marvel. Be seeing you. <laughs>